Great to be here with all of you. I'll give a couple other introductory notes after I give the scripture reading for this morning. So our sermon passage comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of your undoing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So yes, the rumors are true. I come from Jersey with love for all of you. This is actually the first time I've ever been on this side of the Delaware River before. I had heard rumors that, that there was a state over here, but they, they have proven to be true. So yes, wonderful to be here once again. Just kidding. This is not my first time on this side of the Delaware River. We bring you greetings from the lead team of the Liberty Communion of Churches. And this actually is Communion Sunday, where once a year... As a communion of churches, I think we're at 10 or 11, we take a moment to remember that we are part of something bigger, where together we can do more than we can do separately. And as a communion of churches, we want to plant and strengthen churches, coordinate regional mercy and justice ministries, and then also do a lot of international missions and stuff there as well. It's been great so far, and you should know, specifically for myself and Liberty Collingswood, there would be no us without you. So I've been in Collingswood about 10 years now. We launched in 2013, celebrating our 10th year anniversary a little while from now. But for my first few years here, I was really here at Liberty River Wards, then Liberty East, at staff meeting every week, crying on lots of different pastoral shoulders, trying to figure out how do you plant a church in a crazy time. So I have been supported, nurtured, and loved well by you over the years. I'm so thankful for that. And it's always great to be back here and see lots of old and familiar faces. We're looking good, aren't we? We're, we're, we're holding up really well. And then also, new faces too. What we're doing here is you're at River Wards in the middle of a sermon series about the mission not only of Liberty River Wards, but of all the Liberty churches. We want to live, speak, and serve as Jesus' very presence wherever God has placed us, including over here. And I should also note to you that as part of this type of sermon series that's been going on in a lot of different Liberty churches right now, We've been sharing some notes and writing some different sermons for each other. So this is a sermon that was originally written by Vito Baldini, also on the lead team, and our director of Mercy and Justice Ministry across the communion of churches. Vito chose Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 to preach upon when we talk about serving. And the way that Vito constructed the sermon is he's spending most of the time on just that last verse, verse 10. So... The first nine verses, I'll talk in a second. I love these first nine verses, too. We're not going to go into too much detail about that. 
just wanted to let you know. And finally, since this is Vito's sermon, any problems, concerns can be directed to vito at liberty.org. So, Ephesians chapter 2. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, in all of Scripture. Because in Ephesians 2, this is a letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. We read about how we're saved. If you believe in Jesus, you're saved by faith alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone, Jesus crucified and resurrected. It is all good news. And as I look at these verses, they are so alive with life and joy and hope. But what do we see on the other hand when we look around? Do we see a ton of life and joy and hope in our world? Hashtag true confessions of a pastor. A couple of weeks ago, I broke an informal rule of mine. And that informal rule of mine is, I made it for myself a few years before that, Jim, check the news, Saturday night or Sunday morning. Every week, check the news, Saturday night, Sunday morning. And I made that informal rule because one too many times there would be some tragic event, natural disaster, killing, something else that would occur over the weekend. And when I check out on my work week on Friday afternoon, Friday evening, I try to be less on phones and less on my laptop over the weekend. One too many times, I'd preach and talk on a Sunday morning and people would come up to me afterwards and say, Jim, why didn't you? I mean, we're in pain because this thing over here happened. And I said, sorry, I, I didn't know. Got in the habit of checking the news, except a couple of weeks ago, was the week when there was a shooting out in California. I just missed it. And then the week after that, Tyree Nichols in Memphis, the police brutality. I checked the news that week, but it wasn't any easier on, on Sunday morning to articulate and voice what so many of us were feeling in those moments. It is a sad, dark, and sinful world. At the very least, the Bible said there would be days like this or a world like this. Evil is real. But then the Bible goes a step further and says, yes, evil is real, but it's not random. In verse 2 of this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about the prince of the power of the air, the Satan. There is a personified, coordinated evil to this world with which we must reckon. But then also that raises a question. Maybe you've thought this. Maybe you've struggled with this. Maybe you are struggling with this. God, where are you in all of this mess? God, do you even care? And that's a faith stretcher. It's a faith stretcher for me to this day. It's a classic philosophy or theology 101 type of question, the problem of evil. If there is an all-good and all-powerful God, how can there be evil and suffering in the world? It's a deep issue, and we feel it again and again and again. But as I understand what God has revealed about himself truly in the scriptures, I think it's safe to say, God, do you even care about all of this crazy stuff and pain and suffering in the world? God comes back and says, yes. That's why I sent Jesus. That's what it's all about. For God so loved the world. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Of course I care. <laughs> That's why I gave up my son. And the good news of the Christian story in the Scriptures is that the almighty triune God, our living Lord, is bringing our sad, dark, and sinful world that's in a state of being messed up to being made whole again. And he's doing it by grace because Jesus is crucified and resurrected. Because in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the kingdom of God has erupted into the old order. And for any and all that come to Jesus by faith, we receive his forgiveness, his life, his renewal, because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, all the way to a new heavens and a new earth where there will be healing and justice forever, where there will be no more weeping or crying or mourning or pain, and every tear is going to be wiped away as God graciously continues his work. And here's the part that blows my mind. How is this going to happen? If in Jesus crucified and resurrected, the Holy Spirit is at work to restore all of creation, it's like this. Again, as I read the Scriptures, the vehicle for the, rec for the restoration and renewal of all things in Christ is the church. The vehicle for God's restoration and renewal of all things in Christ is the church. And the reason it blows my mind is because we're bozos. There's got to be a better plan. Bozos like you and me, losers, punters, schlemiels, jabronis, Chiefs fans? And the answer is yeah. So when we ask the question, God, do you care? There's actually a little bit of a two-way street. Yes, I care, God says, but the question comes to us, the church, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Which brings us back to Ephesians chapter 2. And as I understand my own tradition, the Presbyterian and Reformed tradition, this passage has a very interesting interpretive history on the positive side. It's really positive. This is one of the most sweeping, dramatic, climactic statements about salvation in Jesus Christ in all of the Scriptures, a 360 view of everything, the depth, the breadth, the clarity, the precision. It's all here, and it's great. But the one issue that I have is that often as I've heard this passage talked about and historically going back into books and stuff, it's as if verse 10 kind of doesn't exist. All we have is the first nine verses that, again, are really, really good. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But then Paul goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a so that. There's an effect. There's a, okay, now go do something. There is a mission. God in Christ is seeking men and women, boys and girls that follow Jesus, that are fully committed 
to loving God and loving people, and that means, among other things, a ton, service. We've got to serve. It's in our mission statement. We want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus. So, we are created for a purpose, and when it comes to God's call upon us, what are we going to do about it? Two parts for the rest of the way. We're created for a purpose, and we're recreated for a purpose. Created for a purpose, recreated for a purpose. Created for a purpose. Another interpretive question that comes to us from this passage, Ephesians chapter 2, is verse 10. Again, for we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. People have wondered over the years, what, what creation do we have in view here? Is it the creation creation way back when? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? Creation? Or is it more the new creation in Christ Jesus? The Apostle Paul says in another place, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. Is it this new recreation idea? And the answer is yes. It's kind of like looking at two different mountain peaks from a distance that are sort of lined up. And by virtue of the perspective that you're taking on it, these two mountain peaks kind of look like one, but there's a background and a foreground, sort of like this in verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There is a background, God's original creation of all of us, and then a foreground, recreated in Jesus. And as far as the background goes, we are created by the living Lord, and we access that story way back in Genesis chapter 1. How did God create us? Well... The Lord God created man in his own image, after his own likeness, male and female, he created them. We're created in God's image. Let's talk about that. And I realize that here at Liberty River Wards, you've been doing a long sermon series in the book of Genesis, actually coincidentally, as we've also been doing at Liberty Collingswood. And so there's a lot of good materials that you can go on River Wards' website to find what the pastors and preachers here said about the image of God. What Vito Baldini did in this sermon, what he accented specifically, is dignity. What does it mean that we're, that we're created in the image of God? Dignity. It means that all humans, big and small, no matter the skin tone, no matter the ability or disability, we are all of supreme worth and value and dignity to the living Lord, all of us, without any exception whatsoever. We are of supreme dignity and value and worth even when we don't treat ourselves like it or when other people don't treat you like it. You can't, take, you can't have it taken away. It's for all of us. And permit me just a little bit of a sidebar here. As I look into my magic eight ball into the future, this is going to come into some question and already is a little bit. How many of you have heard the term speciesism? It's coming from a few different places in here, the secular West, from literary theory, environmental sciences, biology, ethics. Speciesism says that it's wrong for human beings to believe that they have pride of place in the world. Why are we any better than bugs and blades of grass and anything else? It's just all one soupy world and cosmos. We're not special in any way. Therefore, let's stop acting like it. Now, I don't want to sound like knee-jerk conservatism here, but as I go back to the scriptures and think about 
speciesism vis-a-vis the scriptures, I think the scriptures would say, that's just crazy talk. It is. It's human beings above all that are imbued with God's image, nothing else. And if we're created in God's image of supreme worth and value, that doesn't mean that we should trash the environment and not care about animals and other things. It means the opposite. With great power comes great responsibility, right? We should care about these things and should press ahead in these directions, be that as it may. If human beings, by virtue of carrying the image of God, are created with worth and value and dignity that cannot and shouldn't be taken away, then the church must be the place where human dignity, worth, and value is cherished, is burnished, is delighted in, is practiced. And at this point in the sermon, Vito talked about a friend of his when he was ministering at Liberty Center City named Robert. I'm going to tell you about a friend of mine named James. So the first church I ever pastored was a little church in West Philly, University City, called Church of the Redeemer. We met at what's now the city school at Spruce Hill, 42nd in Baltimore. It was a great time. Had a wonderful time in that little church. And midway through my ministry there, there was a guy, James, that started coming. James was a great guy, and there weren't a lot of us that looked a lot like James, and that was part of the beauty of the whole thing. James was a black man from rural South Carolina, an army vet, and when he came to us, he was about in his mid-50s. He was, however, and sadly, very unskilled as a laborer. He was actually functionally illiterate, so had a lot of trouble holding various jobs, and also over the years had fallen into some addictive patterns that he constantly struggled with too. When he came to us, he was pretty beaten down. Life had dealt him a really, really, really rough hand. And earlier on, as he started to get to know us and we got to know him, periodically he would say in that molasses, South Carolina gurgle, I don't want to be a burden. Don't want to be a burden. And I finally, and hopefully gently, asked him to stop saying that. James, you're not a burden. We're blessed to have you here. So he got involved, joined, was a key part of our congregation. It was wonderful. And we did serve him in a lot of different ways. We helped him with some finances, helped him get out of of some debt, tried to find and did find a more stable place for him to live, helped him with some employment opportunities. So there was a lot of service towards James. Yet, the relationship with James was truly and deeply mutual through and through. He served us. He served us. He served us with his presence. And then also, he served us specifically with his cooking. He was an army vet, and what he did in the army was that he was an army cook. So James did a ton of cooking for us. In West Philly, we lived on St. Bernard Street between 49th and 50th south of Baltimore. One of the very original Liberty launch team, a few guys lived a block away from me way back then, also on St. Bernard Street. I said, why don't you come to my church instead? They said, no, there's a church in Liberty called Liberty that's going to start soon. I was like, fine. But uh, once a month on St. Bernard Street, my wife Emily and I, we opened our home for a men's breakfast Saturday morning 
four homeless and semi-homeless friends and neighbors of ours, James was the one that would arrive at my house at 6 a.m. And you can take the guy out of the army. You can't take the army out of the guy. Often early, before 6 a.m. And, and he'd start cooking. And he would cook up a storm for all of these people. And it was great. In fact, really the only time I ever got mad at James was related to cooking. So at that building, 42nd in Baltimore, we would have once a month, you know, old school churchy stuff, monthly fellowship meal. I don't know if River Words, you ever have, you know, periodic meals. Monthly fellowship meal after church, people would bring food and all of that. One day I was preaching a sermon, and realistically, I think it was the best sermon that I ever preached. And so it was just going great. It was awesome. I was actually thinking midway through the sermon, I, I just might retire after this, after this. It doesn't get any better than this. And about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through the sermon, I was building towards my rhapsodic climax. The fire alarm went off. And so, had to suspend the sermon. Dead of winter, January, we all went outside for a while had to wait for the fire engines to come, for the firefighters to come in and make sure that everything was okay. Took, maybe, took close to an hour. We were hungry. We were cold. Some people just left, like, I'm not sticking around anymore. And one of the firefighters came back to me when it was all over and said, we found the cause. There was some mac and cheese that was burning in the oven upstairs, which was James's. And it wasn't even really that I got mad at him the first time that happened. But I was preaching the second best sermon of my life exactly a month afterwards when the fire alarm went off at exactly the same time. So I came to James and I said, buddy, help me help you. There's got to be a, a better system for this. Can't resist telling one other story about James. When he was at our church, he bought his first car, and it was amazing. It wasn't much to look at. It was an old, beat-up Toyota Camry, but it was his. He owned it. He bought it from a sheriff's sale, so it was impounded by police, bought it, tags and title, registration and insurance, all in his name. He was so excited about it, and this was summertime. And we moved our fellowship meals from the church building to Clark Park in West Philly in the summertime, set up a couple of grills, and then people would just bring their own meat or veggies to grill, and we'd have a great time. James was our grill master, of course. So anyway, James told us, hey, I'm going to drive to Clark Park in my new car, and I can't wait to show it to all of you. So get to Clark Park after church, grilling up a storm, everybody's good and beginning to eat, and then it was time James said, okay, let's go see my car. So he grabbed maybe seven, eight, nine of us, and we were walking across Clark Park, and James pointed and said, that's my car. Do you see it? Isn't it great? And I said, you mean the car that's pulling out right now? And then he looked, and he started running after the car, saying, hey, that's my car. That's my car. It was stolen. He'd only had it for a few days. And so then we were at our home meeting that following week and, you know, have a little bit of Bible study, go around and pray. James, is there anything? I knew what he was going to say. Is there anything that we could pray for you about? And he said, yeah. And he was crying. I, my car was stolen. I only had it for a few days. Does God hate me? Is everybody against me? I just don't understand. And he said he didn't have the car, 
But he said, I'm talking to police, and this is what they've put together so far. So the car was impounded, and what they think happened with some eyewitness accounts and maybe some cameras or something, the person from whom the car had been impounded was strolling through Clark Park on a Sunday afternoon, and he wasn't the rightful owner of that car, by the way, but strolling through Clark Park, saw his old car, jangled his keys, and said, I have an extra car key. Put in the door, unlocked, cranked the engine, drove off. And after he said all of that, there was a long pause, and I said, James, we'll pray for that for sure. And then I paused again. And I said, but James, you've got to admit that's pretty funny. And he said, what do you mean funny? I was like, James, what are the chances? <laughs> the guy who got the car impounded was just walking through Clark Park, and he saw his car. You, you must have thought that this is the luckiest day of my life. And he just, James sat there, and he went, <laughs> and he started laughing, and we all did. So it was this holy moment of us sitting in a prayer circle, laughing and crying together. The car was found, and the church paid to get the locks switched out. But our time with him and his time with us was a period of deep flourishing and joy. It was wonderful. And we were also with James in his lower moments. Every once in a while, he would fall back into those addictive behaviors, and more than once, I would be sitting with him when he was coming off of a run. He'd be weeping, and what he'd say is, I'm worthless, I'm worthless, I'm worthless, I'm worthless. And I'd sit with him and say, James, you're not worthless. You're created in the image of God. You have dignity. God loves you. We love you because that's how God has created us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before the foundation of the world, God was preparing our church to serve James. James was preparing, God was preparing James to serve our church. God was preparing us together to serve others. So many times, I'd be going on a pastoral call or visit of one kind or another, and I'd say, James, can you come along? I, I need you to speak into the situation in ways that I, I can't, or it's a lot harder for me to. It was wonderful. Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are an exemplar, a representative of the living Lord who well tends to all of creation. As God rules in benevolent love all things, we are called to rule and steward in benevolent love all things and all situations to God's glory, not because we're overlords, but because the Lord is the Lord. That's our calling. And if you're somebody that's skeptical of Christianity or still working some of those pieces out, you might say, well, that's interesting because the church is really bad at all of that. Treating people well? Cherishing dignity? Are we sure? And I think it's okay for us to say, 
you're right, the church has not been great at that. But the answer is that we don't need to become less Christian, we need to become more Christian and believe what God says about people and how we're supposed to serve everybody more, not less. And I think there is something for Christians in a moment like this to be the ones that show up and serve, that love across difference. Here's something that Christians can do in this cultural moment. We can disagree without disengaging. So often those two things go together. To disagree with somebody, unfriend, unfollow. I'm not going to be at your Super Bowl party. You're not going to be at my Super Bowl party. We tribalize, 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 tribalize. But instead, what if we say, hey, we're not on the same page with everything, but I love you. I'm here. I'm present. I want to be in relationship with you. The reality is, too, that tragedy and pain and suffering claw away at human dignity and worth. It's the calling of the church to roll it back, roll it back, roll it back, roll it back. We're created for a purpose. We're also recreated for a purpose. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. The Jesus who said in the gospel accounts of his life, you know how it is out there with authority? People lord it over everybody, but that's not how it is with me. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus went low for us. For Jesus to lead is to serve, and to serve is to lead. For Jesus to lead is to serve, and to serve is to lead. That's what Jesus is all about. We and our world are broken, sad, dark, and sinful. But God didn't leave us. He sent Jesus to put all of that junk, all of that sin upon his own shoulders. He died to cancel the debt for sin and rise again. And now the calling of the church is to tend to and steward God's renewal of all things. If you're in Christ, you may not feel like it. You may not even treat yourself like it all the time. You're God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And if that's who we are, we serve individually and then also as a church, as churches. On this Communion Sunday, as a communion of congregations, we are called to serve. And there are plenty of challenges with that, both internal and external. Internally, the more you press yourself to serve, the more you come up against the idol of self. It gets in the way. So many different idols of self. Should I serve? Well, there is idols of comfort, idols of time, Idols of money, idols of career, idols of comfort, on down the line. What are your blockers when it comes to serving? And then externally, what are some blockers? And it's been a little while since I lived in the city. I'm not sure what the challenges are here. In Collings, what I said, our, one of our primary challenges to serving is that we're more or less in the suburbs and primarily a suburban church. 
And it's hard to know where and how to find points of engagement with service in the suburbs because part of why the suburbs are suburbs is that all of that stuff is out of view and brushed under rugs and into corners. If you look at the history of the creation of the suburbs in the mid-20th century, it was kind of on purpose with white flight and redlining and all of that horrible stuff. Yeah, the suburbs were the place where people wanted to keep the quote-unquote bad people out. And I told Collingswood, if we want to live, speak, and serve here, we've got to break through those barriers. And are there any barriers that unwittingly we've erected within our congregation so that people that aren't like us, like us can't find footholds and can't figure out, how can I be a part of this place? I don't know all of the unwritten rules about just how to be a person and how, how to be in relationship with other people that everybody else just seems to know intuitively. What are the blockers here? And my prayer for all of the churches in the Liberty Communion is that we would be places that offer so many opportunities for people to show up and serve that there would be a positive pressure to do so. Kind of like this. Thursday afternoon, Friday afternoon, you're going out with friends for a happy hour to maybe get some coffee or cafe, drinks, whatever it is. And you go to this place, the server seats you, you're sitting down with friends, and the server says, are you just going to do drinks or would you like to see a food menu? And you say, no, we're just, just going to do drinks. We don't need to see the food menu. But then, say the server comes back a couple minutes later and says, okay, here are your drinks. Would you like to see that food menu? No, we're just here uh, for a couple of drinks. A couple minutes later, would you like to see a food menu? Would you like to see a food menu? Would you like to see a food menu? Until you say, fine, see a food menu. I'll look at the salads. Then fast forward 45 minutes and you're polishing off the chicken wings and tots. It's just, it's just the way of things. Stephen Wood's ordination party was spectacular, by the way, with all of that stuff. Stephen, it was wonderful. You should get ordained every year. It was so good. But would our churches be kind of like that polite yet persistent server where we keep saying, would you like to serve? 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 And how might you do that? Internally here? I don't know. I have no idea. I haven't talked to any of your leaders about this. But I would guess if I would ask them, are there enough people at Liberty River Wards that are volunteering on all the different teams that, that, that we need, whether Sunday morning or otherwise? Chances are they probably wouldn't say, we have so many, we don't know what to do with them. It's probably, yeah, we could use some more people. So talk to a leader about that, or more informally. Be one of those people that sees the person by himself or herself and goes and talks to that person. Invites that person out for coffee. Be that person that at a home meeting somebody gives a prayer request. You're asking that person on Sunday morning, hey, how's that going? I've been praying for you. Very intentionally, loving across lines of difference. The second church I pastored, was in Texas, which didn't surprise anybody. Everybody says, Jim, you grew up in like, you're a cowboy, right? And I'm like, yeah, I am a cowboy. The, but living in Texas, it was a church with a lot of young families in it. And then there was a couple that had a little bit older kids, high school going into college. They were with us for a few months, and then they disengaged, followed up with them. Hey, we loved having you with us. Uh, are, are you going somewhere else? What's, what's going on? You know, you go with our blessing, blah, blah, blah. They said, yeah, your church is wonderful. We, we really loved it, but 
we just couldn't handle all of those young families. We, we need people that are more at our own age and stage. And they said, we tried going out to lunch a couple of times, but we are just done with restaurants and high chairs and coloring books and all that stuff. So we're, we're going to move on. If I was a little bit older, I would have wanted to follow up with that family. At the time, I just said, okay. But as I was reflecting on it, I thought, for a Christian to seek a Christian church, and the primary reason for whether that Christian will stay or not is finding people like them, that is an anti-Christian impulse. That's not a Christian impulse at all. You're looking for churches for all the wrong I get it but you're looking for a church for all the wrong reasons. And then, how might you serve? I know River Words gives you a ton of opportunities to do so, and I'm actually at a point of encouragement. I feel comfortable saying that because I was at points of deep discouragement during pandemic over the past few years at Collingswood. There were moments when I thought, I don't think our church will show up for anything ever again. We're just done. We talk at Liberty Collingswood about how through pandemic, our circles of outrage expand, but our circles of care have drastically shrunk. And one of the wins for our church this ministry year was that Urban Promise is a ministry in Camden. It was just an MLK service day, and no, we don't save the world with one MLK service day. We don't do an MLK service day so we get a photo op and say, great, we're off the hook for the next 11 months until the, uh, until the next MLK service day. We had 30 people, which for a church our size was like, this is awesome. I can't believe it. I never thought we'd be able to send this many people to anything ever again. It is building season. And understand, to turn our backs on suffering and to refuse to serve, we are turning our backs on our own humanity. But instead, Jesus ran towards the mess and served. Will we? What are we going to do? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.